Morning, everyone. Welcome to Restoration. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you all uh, this morning. Whether you're new to Restoration or visiting or watching online or here in person, uh, thank you for joining us uh, for worship this morning. Uh, as you've heard already this morning, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and we've been in a series that Pastor Dan started for us last week from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, Pastor Dan introduced us to a list of names last week that the prophet Isaiah gives to God's promised king, and those four names are the subject of our series. Now, we happen to know that this promised king is Jesus, right? And that gives us a little bit of clarity about these names, right? We get to read these names that Isaiah gives in the light of Jesus. We get to ask, what do they tell us about Jesus? How's he at work in the world, right? How's he at work in us? So last week, Dan, if you remember, if you weren't here with us, he talked about the first name in that list, which is that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He talked about Jesus being the source of all wisdom, right? Jesus isn't wonderful because he evokes a sense of wonder in us, but because he himself is a wonder, right? He's God's wisdom entering this world as a human being. And that's an amazing promise for God's people, right? That God's king would bring God's wisdom into this world on our behalf. And so that leads us to the second name in the list. Isaiah says that this king will also be the mighty God. Now, that's going to sound simple, right? It sounds so simple, in fact, that it was actually very hard to write this sermon. This is one of the most difficult sermons that I've had to write. Because I think, how do you write an entire sermon that says Jesus is God, right? Like, even if you're here this morning, and you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, I'm pretty sure you know that Christians think that Jesus is God, right? That's one of the, that's one of the most foundational truths of Christianity, is that Jesus is God. So what is there to talk about, right? How do we reflect on this idea that Jesus, this promised king, is also God? For most of us in this room who would consider ourselves Christians, that's kind of old news a little bit. Right? Well, as I reflected on that idea, how we've lost a little bit of the awe of Jesus being God, that's where a sermon started to form. We've lost some of that awe, but that's not the experience of the original audience, right? The original audience reading this passage, the idea that God's promised king was also the mighty God himself would have been earth-shattering for them, right? They wouldn't have had any category for the promised king who was going to rescue them being God himself, that would have been absolutely awesome to them. And so this morning, what we're going to spend just a few minutes on is how do we rediscover some of that awe for ourselves? 
This is going to be one of the shortest sermons you've ever heard. We're going to go about 15 minutes or so. So this is very short. <laughs> Somebody's excited. Dan, you make note of that. I, I, I preached one time for a, a church that I was visiting in New Orleans. And the guy said, we keep it short here. He said, if you, if you go over 20 minutes, New Orleans will fall off into the sea. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to keep it short. So this one will be short. But how do we reclaim some of that awe for ourselves, right? Can we read this list of names? Can we get to the place where we hear again that Jesus is the mighty God and be in awe again? Well, I think we can. And it reminds me of uh, something that our staff team was talking about recently. We were talking about the idea of reaction videos. Now, depending on your age, you may or may not have any idea what I'm talking about when I say reaction videos, but reaction videos have become incredibly popular the last probably five or ten years. What they are, you go onto YouTube or you know some other video site, and you can watch people reacting to something. Right? It could be uh, a popular movie or TV show that has a big twist or has a, a dramatic moment. It could be a sporting event where something amazing happens, right? And you get to see, you know what happens already. You get to see someone else's reaction to that event. So why? Why do we watch those? Why are they popular? Right? Well, there have been a number of studies done to ask why do these videos draw so much interest. And one of the reasons that studies have shown that they do that is that somehow, after we've gotten over the initial awe of whatever that first-time experience is, watching someone else experience it for the first time allows us to get caught up in that emotion again. In other words, we get to experience the awe of something powerful, even something that we already know about, when we see it through the eyes of someone else. And I think that's what passages like this can do for us. These verses in Isaiah are like a reaction video for us. We get to step into the story. We get to watch this news come to these people for the first time. And that should draw us back in to the awe of seeing Jesus as the mighty God. Now, the reason that that works is because of context. One of our seminary professors famously says, context is king. What he means by that is if you're watching a reaction video and you don't have any idea what's going on, it doesn't do the same thing, right? One of Pastor Dan and I's favorite uh, reactions recently was when Luke Skywalker reappeared in The Mandalorian. Okay, this is a popular video online, people reacting to seeing Luke on screen for the first time since they were probably kids. But if you don't care about Star Wars, or you know nothing about Star Wars whatsoever, it's probably not that big a deal to you. So context is one of the key things that helps us understand the experience of someone that we're going to see something through their eyes. If we're going to understand the experience of God's people when they hear that Jesus is mighty God, then we've got to understand a little bit of where they're coming from. 
Dan talked a, bit, a little about the context last week, but we'll rehash it. He talked about some of the descriptions that Isaiah gives of the darkness and the hopelessness that God's people were experiencing. Right? And so when we read those, they begin to remind us of our own seasons of darkness and hopelessness. Right? Look back at chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. This is what Isaiah says. God's people will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's what the people are walking through. And so when you read that, doesn't it bring to mind the places of anguish and gloom and thick darkness that you're going through? I think of the things that I've been going through in my life recently. The distress of trying to find a diagnosis for medical issues for my family. The anger at God when those diagnoses don't come. Or they give answers that we weren't hoping for. The darkness and anguish of friends being betrayed, walking through some of the things we shared last week about excommunication and divorce. What are the things that darkness and hopelessness recall for you? Where have you been distressed and hungry recently? Maybe distressed because of the way that you're being treated at your work, people betraying you, undermining you, not giving you the credit that you deserve. A lot of us have been sick recently. How distressed are you at the sickness that hinders your life? Maybe you're in a place where you're physically hungry all the time, but even if you aren't, how have you been hungry for other things, for money, for relationship? Maybe even just hungry to be cared for. And when you don't have those things, how easy is it to be enraged at God? You read this experience of God's people, this distress and this darkness, this gloom and this anguish, and they immediately bring back to your heart the way that those things are happening to you. Even if they're not happening to you right now, unfortunately, I can promise you that they have happened or that they're going to happen. Because the world, the whole point of Advent is that the world is dark and gloomy. The world's broken and in anguish. And so there's no way we can read the context of what God's people are going through and not experience the same emotion and hurt and brokenness that God's people are walking through during this season. And so through their eyes, through their experience, our own darkness and anguish comes right back in front of our face. So what's the answer? Maybe we shouldn't read it, right? That's one answer. Maybe it's too triggering to go and read all of this, right? I already have to deal with all those things in the world. I don't come to church or read the Bible to get that brought back up again right? Well, maybe that would be true 
if that was the end of the story. If all we had was the bad news, the reminder of the darkness and the hopelessness in life, then yeah, maybe it would be enough to say, I got to deal with that stuff in life. I don't want to read it in the Bible. I don't want to talk about it at church or my community group. I'm going to leave that stuff aside because I'm experiencing it every day. But praise God that that's not the end of the story. Into that darkness, God says, comes a light. The light of Jesus. And if hearing about the experience of darkness for God's people leads us to feel the weight of our own darkness, then in the same way, hearing about the experience of hope and light for God's people ought to lead us to our own hopefulness and light in our experiences. Because what's true for God's people in this passage is just as true for you and I now. The mighty God has come. Imagine how powerful that would have been for them, for God's people to hear that in the midst of their anger at God, of the darkness and hopelessness that they're walking through. This promise of rescue But it's not just temporary rescue that's only going to last as long as the king's on the throne. It's not local rescue that only extends as far as his rule extends. It's not limited rescue that only extends as far as his power extends. No, this rescue is something different because this king is something different. This king Jesus is the mighty God. He doesn't just come to help God's people thousands of years ago in that part of the world. He's here to help you and I. He comes as the mighty God for them and for you. For their darkness and anguish and yours this morning. You know, it's as amazing as it is that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. We need more than that. Because this world itself, the fabric of reality, is broken. So I need more than just a wonderful counselor. I need God himself to come and bring light into the darkness. Because we need all the darkness everywhere forever to be defeated. The only one that can do that is the one who made everything and whose light is more powerful than the darkness. That's the mighty God. Dan mentioned last week that what Jesus promises to bring is shalom. Shalom is eternal peace. Jesus is going to reign forever, the passage tells us, and bring eternal peace and wipe away all of the darkness from everything that he created. Please feel the awe of that this morning. Take a look right in the face of whatever darkness, whatever anguish that you're walking through, and see the light of Jesus, the mighty God, shining into that Reminds me of one of my favorite hymns, and I'll end with this. I told you to be short this morning. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn called, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? 
In verse 4, he sings about the light of Jesus coming into his darkness. And this is what he says. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. How's your spirit imprisoned this morning? How are you fast bound in darkness and nature's night? What dungeon are you trapped in this morning? Wake up. See the light of the mighty God coming into your story. And follow the words of Charles Wesley. Rise up, go forth, and follow him. Let's pray. Fathers, we uh, come to the table in a moment. We do ask that even this table would bring us back into the reality of your son Jesus as the mighty God. That as we come to this table, things that can sometimes seem uh, mundane and repetitive, like hearing from your word each week or coming to a communion table or whatever it might be, that those things would spring to life, that we would, in the midst of the darkness and the anguish, the gloom that's around us in this broken world, that this place, not because of this building or because of uh, the people here or any of those things, but because of you, because of Jesus, the mighty God who's brought light into the world, that these things would spring to life with light. As we come to your table, remind us of that. Amen.